Uh, our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 9, so uh, I'll be up to preach a little later, but I wanted to get the story into us to kind of let the Spirit turn it around in our mind before we do that. So Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. So Saul was told about their plot, and during the night, some of the believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. That's a hard spiritual journey. That's a hard way to start. Our service this morning and our scripture is all about those of you who may be on a hard spiritual journey or having a hard start. So we want to offer this morning to God that he would teach us the survival skills we need to make that journey. Let us stand now together and give our worship to this God who is with us for the journey. Father, we pray for the person whom we have been inviting into the life of Jesus Christ and the life of the church. And we pray that person would accept our invitation, moved by your spirit. Father, we pray for our friend or our loved one who has no idea how much they need you. You'd bring something in their life to help them know they need you. Lord, we pray for the next person who comes to this congregation seeking you, that they will find us to be good ambassadors, good guides, good friends, welcoming people. Uh, Everyone, let's take just a moment. We'll make a space here and just say the first name aloud of whoever it is you're praying for. We lift these people up to you, commend them to your care. Lord, we will do what you have called us to do. And we know you'll do what you always do. Draw your people to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. They lower the rope slowly, hand over hand. 
takes like three or four of them to do it. Lower the rope out of the window in the city wall. It's really heavy. On the other end is a woven bag or a basket. And when it gets down to the ground, a man steps out. Saul of Tarsus. He sheds the basket, picks up his pack, and runs into the night. He can't stay in Damascus anymore. There's assassins there trying to kill him. He can't leave by the city gate. He's heard there's assassins outside the gate waiting for him also. Why did this happen to Saul? Because two years ago he became a Christian. Wait a minute. I thought when he became a Christian, God sends miracles, they flood your life, and everything becomes easy. Sometimes, in some ways, that happens. And other times, in other ways, it gets even harder. You see, your journey is unique because you are unique. Your journey is between you and God. This morning is all about coming to a campsite here on this journey where we're going to talk about the survival tools you'll need in your pack for those of you who are making the hard journey. You didn't pick it. It picked you. And like Saul, now you need to know what's in that pack. Here's why Saul's escaping by night out of a hole in the wall. It's because he came to Damascus a few years ago with written orders from the high priest that he could capture anyone who was a follower of Jesus, put chains on them, haul them back to Jerusalem, and have them stand trial. Some were sentenced to be executed. Somewhere on that road to Damascus, Saul had a vision of the risen Christ. And that vision changed his mind about all of it. Now, he already had some speaking uh, engagements booked in the local synagogue, so he just kept them. And Saul would roll into synagogue, and everyone would pack in there, I'm sure, because this is Saul of Tarsus, the Christian hunter. He's in our town. He's speaking in our synagogue. He's going to tell us all the latest news about this mysterious cult spreading over the land called Christians. So Saul got up to speak, and he'd start with the Old Testament prophets, and then he'd work his way through the Messianic Psalms, and by the end of his message, he had proved from the scriptures that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, whom the scriptures say the Lord would use to turn all the world back to God through the suffering of his servant. And I bet everyone in the room got the blinky look. What just happened? This was supposed to be Saul, the Christian hunter. He was supposed to come and tell us how these people are a plague, on the, a blight on the face of the world. He just stood up there and he proved their entire message using our scriptures. This only shows how dangerous this cult of Christianity is. Its poison can infect the mind of anyone. And so they take an oath right there. 
Nobody in this room eats until that man is dead. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. We learned, we learned that, that uh, at that time, they also got some help from the outside. You see, when Saul first became a Christian, the first year, he, he went up to Syria and he preached the good news to Syrian Arabs that the, the Messiah was now opening his kingdom to the whole world. That got him in trouble with King Aratus of Syria. So the Jews knew that, so they sent a message up to King Aratus. said, hey, you know that guy Saul who came up there bugging you last year? Well, he's bugging us this year. So would you mind to maybe send a couple of Arab assassins down? We'll take care of him inside the city, and you can surround the city and make sure he doesn't get away. Arabs and Jews working together? Just as weird back then as it would be today. But since they had a common enemy, Saul the Christian, they're willing to put their differences aside because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This is the first tool you're going to need in your survival kit, I'm afraid, is the sword. The sword represents our understanding that the good news of Christ's kingdom is not good news to everyone. Some people profit from oppression. Some people enjoy and profit from racism. A lot of people enjoy and profit from immorality. Some enjoy and profit from being the head of an oppressive religion. For all these people, the good news of the Messiah is not going to be particularly good news. I chose the sword because Jesus did. Uh, Jesus said once, you think I came to bring peace? I'm afraid I came to bring a sword. That was Jesus' way of saying, my kingdom isn't going to be good news to everyone. He said, get ready. You're excited about it, but some of your kinsmen, some of your own family, Jesus said, will turn against you because of me. Now, Saul understood the sword because he used to be the one carrying the sword, right? He was a Christian hunter. Now he's just on the receiving end. So now he's having to sneak out of town by being lowered out a hole in the wall. He wants to escape back to Jerusalem. He wants to get back to his old stomping grounds in Jerusalem. And he does. He makes it back to Jerusalem. And so the first thing Saul does when he gets to Jerusalem is he, he wants to meet with the Christians in Jerusalem so he can find himself his new church home. What you have to remember, though, is the last time Saul was stomping around Jerusalem, he was stomping on Christians' necks. So as far as the church is concerned, Darth Vader's shuttle has just returned to the Death Star. So not one of them wants to meet with him. He can't even find out which house the Christians are meeting in. That's the second tool we're going to need for our toolkit. These sunglasses. These sunglasses represent our ability to see ourselves as other people see us. To see ourselves as other people see us. Because some people are going to have a hard time believing that you have been changed by God. Uh, when I first became a follower of Jesus, my change was so rapid that my brother told me later he didn't believe it at first. Great, he thought. I wonder what this is all about. I wonder what new drama and weirdness he's dreamed up. There's a guy sitting here in the front row during first service. When he became a Christian, he turned so happy so quickly that a rumor went around at his workplace that he was using drugs. Do you have friends or family or co-workers who doubt the sincerity of your devotion to Christ? 
do you feel like you're getting less than a warm reception from the church? Well, try to see it from their perspective for a moment. Given your past, this is all going to be very sudden to them. And to the people who have known you best for so long, this is going to look quite fake. That's just how it looks. Even Jesus faced this. Jesus had to stop preaching in his hometown because every time he talked, everyone said, who's this guy? Isn't this Joseph, the carpenter's son? You'll have to give people grace for their lack of belief in you. Just the way God gave you grace all those years for your lack of belief in him. Now, in time, with consistent Christian living, they will accept your new life as authentic. The longer you've known them, though, the longer it will take. Thank God he sends us one good friend. In our passage today, his name is Barnabas. His name literally means encourager. Barnabas takes time to get to know Saul. Barnabas hears Saul's story, and Barnabas is convinced. So Barnabas takes Saul to church with him one day. That must have been exciting. And Barnabas says, I vouch for this guy. I've heard his testimony. I've heard his my story. I believe it. We can trust him. And apparently, that was good enough for the church. Because after that, it says, Paul could go around with the apostles anywhere. So the next thing you're going to need in your survival kit is one good friend represented by this cell phone. One good friend you can call with your questions for this journey. You're going to need help on this journey. You know this Christian life is going to affect everything about you. It does. It's going to affect uh, where you hang out, who you hang out with, and what you do when you're together. This Christian life will eventually affect the words you say and the words you don't say. It will affect uh, the things you buy and the things you don't buy. It will affect how you sleep or don't sleep, how you eat or what you choose not to eat as you understand your body's a gift from God. It will affect everything, what's important to you and what's no longer important to you. That's a lot of stuff coming at you. You're going to need help for that journey. So choose a wise and experienced Barnabas. Someone who's a little further ahead of you on this spiritual journey to answer your questions and be your guide. This will also help the church take you more seriously because they'll say, oh, she's hanging out with Kathy. Kathy's a good Christian woman. Kathy's been at this a long time. That person's serious. Now don't, don't pick some old drinking buddy who's coming to Jesus about the same time you are or some other noob in the faith. Now you'll need friends like that, you know, to... to commiserate with, but uh, they're not going to be good guides for you. Pick someone who's ahead of you on the trail. Here's how you ask. You say, can we have breakfast on Saturdays? I got questions. I need help on this. Can I take you to lunch every once in a while? We could talk. Can I be in your small group? Now, once you have your Barnabas, your one Christian friend who vouches for you, you realize Barnabas is gold. Not everyone gets one. Barnabas is gold, so you treat Barnabas right. Don't stand Barnabas up. 
if Barnabas has agreed to, to meet you every Saturday for breakfast, don't you just you know, not show up. Leave Barnabas hanging there. Don't get Barnabas into trouble. Barnabas is taking you around the church and vouching for you and, and showing you the ropes. Don't you make Barnabas look like a fool later by doing something crazy in the church, stealing something or saying something really nasty or just being crazy. Don't do that to Barnabas. Treat Barnabas right. Don't borrow money from Barnabas. All right, that's not what Barnabas is there for. I know you got yourself into a real financial problem with all that disobedient living that you did. And God, through your obedience, will dig you out of that and has lots of lessons to teach you on the way. That's what God does, though. He didn't send you Barnabas to write you a check and just get you out of it. You didn't learn anything that way. That's not what Barnabas is for. Um, so don't ask Barnabas to bail you out of jail or pay off your old tickets so that you know the warrant will go away that's not what Barnabas is for that's your journey that's what God's for a good Barnabas will tell you that don't encroach on Barnabas's family life without an invitation Barnabas has got his own battles to fight and is also your guide so if you if Barnabas wants to invite you over for dinner to with the family that's great you want to go to Missouri town or the zoo that's great but don't call Barnabas every night at dinner time with your daily crisis Barnabas is not your new mom or your new dad that's what God is. He's your new dad. So, so treat Barnabas right. Use them for the guide they are and they want to be. And for all of you who are going to be Barnabases, have appropriate boundaries. You're not signing up to be someone's new surrogate second mother. All right? That's, that's not what you are. Barnabas. Saul discovered pretty quickly that he was a teacher. He was a good preacher. And so he began to teach and preach with a fiery vengeance. Uh, meaning Saul contributed to the work of God. Pretty quick, you're going to need to find a way to contribute. You actually learn and grow a lot faster if you contribute, if that surprises you. You know, God didn't save you to baby you and pamper you now through things. God saved you because he has put gifts and talents into you. He had a purpose on your life, and you're coming back to it, and God says, hey, now's a great time to start. So you'll want to contribute just as soon as you can. And so the next thing you're going to need in your survival kit is a toolkit. This toolkit is actually you. And before God, you're going to open this toolkit up and find that God has given you gifts. God has given you talents. God has given you all sorts of resources that he put there to be used for his purpose. And so now you'll begin to use them. What is your gift? Are you good at serving? Are you maybe a behind-the-scenes person? Maybe you could fix things around the building or, or help clean the building or maybe if make, make sure all the candles are blown out in the building. <laughs> be a shame if we burned a room down during the week, wouldn't it? But God's putting gifts in your heart to be diligent and not forget things like that. Maybe you have gifts for uh, being very friendly. Maybe you're very friendly. You could greet someone at the door. You could serve someone coffee with a smile and say, oh, the church is a friendly place. Maybe you have gifts for writing. Maybe you could write prayers or, or children's Bible stories for a children's ministry. Whatever it is, do it with a vengeance and contribute. This will also help you hang out with other Christians besides Barnabas. You can meet others and learn with them and see how they do it and grow by observing them. Um, this will also help everyone in the church take you more seriously because everyone will look at you and say, oh, so-and-so is not just warming up a seat on Sunday anymore. They're actually discovering their gifts and talents. They're getting in here elbow deep with me. 
to answer the call of God and share this message with the world. Okay, well, they must be really serious about being my brother and sister. I better get serious about being a brother and sister to them. Take Lakeland Essentials, the class, next time it's offered. It'll help you open this toolbox and find your gifts and talents. If you don't want to wait that long, you can go out to the kiosk and share what you think you've got, and they can point you to tours that you can take. You can be started next week making your contribution. Now, I want to be honest. Saul had all the tools we've described here. He understood the sword. Uh, He had eyes to see how other people were seeing him. He literally had a guy named Barnabas to be his friend. He knew his gifts, and he was using them to contribute, and his journey was still hard. Verse 28. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews but they tried to murder him. Now he's got people trying to kill him in Jerusalem. I know, I, I, I think I know what Paul was probably thinking. He's probably thinking, you know what? I can get myself into trouble because I keep trying to preach this uh, Messiah to Jews who have grown up in Jerusalem. And they're just too traditional. They're just too conservative. You know what I'll do? I'm going to start preaching to Jews who have lived in other parts of the Roman Empire, who've seen a little more of the world. You know, they speak Greek. They have Roman haircuts. Some of them even have, you know, non-Jewish wives. Um, They're just passing through the Holy Land, or they've just recently immigrated back. I bet they'll be way more open-minded about this Messiah thing. Eh, Wrong answer. They try to kill him too. Why? Because racism is a powerful thing. And Paul is preaching a message that the once Jewish Messiah now wants to fulfill the scriptures and open up the kingdom to every nation on earth and bring them all into one kingdom as brothers and sisters. If you're a Jewish racist who's grown up being told you're just the greatest race on the whole planet, this is not a popular message for you. That's why they want to kill Saul. So the next tool you're going to need in your toolkit is A little first aid. A little first aid. First aid kit tells you to expect some obstacles and setbacks. You will experience injuries on this road. Paul thought he'd preach a new message and then they tried to kill him there. He's going to need first aid for that. Do you ever feel like you take a step forward in your faith and then something comes to knock you back two steps? You know, there is an evil force in the universe that does that. You take a step forward in faith, he comes to knock you back two steps. Easiest example, most dramatic that I see. People who decide they're going to start tithing, right? What a huge step of faith. To to say, I'm going to take 10% of all that I earn, and I'm going to invest it in the work of God in the world and proclaiming this message. And what powerful things happen to you? You know, you realize I'm not stuck on all these material possessions. I realize God provides for me. I didn't have to take care of myself by being stingy. I, I see God at work, okay? What else happens to people who start tithing? Their car breaks down within weeks of doing it. Almost every time! You know, you, you, you do the financial challenge. You say, oh, I'm going to sign up for Fearless. I'm going to make a monthly or weekly pledge for a year or three years, whenever you got on. You turn that in. Transmission falls out, like within a week. Every financial challenge we've ever done, my wife and I have lost some part of a car engine. I think there's a special demon 
assigned to car engines, for people who make financial steps in their faith, to discourage them. That was stupid. Now what are you going to do? You're going to need first aid for that moment. God to come rescue from that moment. Same thing happens in relationships, right? You're trying to bring your family along in faith, and, and here's the types of things that happen. You have a teenager, you have two teenagers, right? And one of your teenagers goes to Christian summer camp, proclaims Jesus as their Savior, they want to come home and be baptized. Same weekend, your other teenager will come home, tell you that they're pregnant, or they've been arrested for minor in possession. One step forward, two steps back. You're going to need first aid for that moment as no one ever seems to be healthy in the family all at the same time. Now, we had a gal once in the church, and she's still around. Her life turned from deep sin and darkness. Oh, deep sin and darkness, the type of stuff you're not supposed to be able to get away from. But Jesus was bringing her away from it, and watching her transform was beautiful. So one night, she's at a, at a, at a dinner at, at Pastor Dan's house. Type of person who was probably just smiling all the way there. I never thought I'd be the type of person who's having dinner at the pastor's house. And she's walking in, or walk, she went out to her car. I don't know how exactly it happened, but anyways, the police arrested her in the front yard at Dan's house. So here's this gal, her life is changing. She, 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 She's at the pastor's house for dinner and she gets arrested, right? Because some police are rolling by and ran her plates. I'm sure, I'm sure her car was interesting. And uh, she had from her past some failure to appear in court that she'd long forgotten about and a warrant was sworn out and there it was. So there she is at the pastor's house in cuffs, you know, smiling. And she say, it's probably just something old. I'm sure it'll be cleared up. <laughs> she needed some first aid for that. Turns out that's exactly what it was and the Lord did smooth it out. But you make a step forward and something comes to discourage you. Now, I don't believe, um, that God causes these things to happen. But I do believe he's constantly reshaping them into something he can use. He's constantly reshaping them into something he can use. God is with you. Your church family is with you. You're never as alone as you feel because you always have the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who comes to put that reshaping power on you. So here's how Saul's story gets reshaped. Let's start back in in verse 29. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. I don't believe God made those Greek-speaking Jews try to kill Saul, but I do believe he took what they meant for evil and reshaped it into maybe the very best part of his plan. Because you see, this journey that Saul is being forced to take away from Jerusalem is going to lead directly to the spread of Christianity to the entire world. Because Saul has to go home to Tarsus, but he takes the message of Jesus with him. He preaches it there. Saul can't sit still. So he goes all along the northern Mediterranean preaching Jesus throughout the Roman Empire. Saul makes it all the way to Rome. He preaches the good news there. 
500 years later, Roman Christians will take that message to an island we now call England. A thousand years after that, English Christians took that message across the sea to Plymouth. And from somewhere there, it came to you and me. I don't believe God inflicts the pain and evil and setbacks on your journey, but I do believe He's always reshaping it. Right now, God is reshaping your setbacks into something he can use. Evil does not get the last word in your life ever again. You stay with God and evil does not get the last word in your life ever again. So the last tool you're going to need is trust in God. This one will get you the furthest. If you're on the difficult journey, you have a new song. Second, second verse of Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home do you have your survival kit on your back do you understand that some of your friends will find your Christian life offensive Do you have the eyes to see yourself as other people see you that it may be hard for them to believe you've changed for a while? Do you have that one Christian friend who can lead you and guide you and believe in you? Do you have your toolkit? Are you making your contribution to the kingdom of God? You learn the most by participating. Do you have the first aid kit? Have you admitted to yourself, I'm going to experience difficulties and setbacks on this journey. And do you have trust in God? Trust in God is your best tool. Do you need to spend some time this week attending to one of these items in the pack that you don't have? It's an important survival kit. If there's something in here we talked about you're missing this week, start laying the groundwork to get that. It's important. You're going to need that. We're going to have some time now to pray and some time to accept the Lord's invitation to the Lord's table. So first, we have a prayer station up here. There are candles you can light. Candles are kind of an ancient symbol in prayer that the heat and the smoke that may rise from them is uh, representing your prayers going up to God. There's a nice piece of foam down there. Uh, if you've got bony knees like I do, you can kneel on if you want. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be right there and I can pray with you. You can pray for anything that you're missing from this pack. If you want to begin this journey with Christ, you can pray for that. If you want to pray for someone else, to join this journey with you. You can pray for that. So there'll be a song about Christ uh, to come dwell in us. 
then after the song and after the prayer, we'll be invited to the Lord's table. We'll have bread there because on Jesus last night with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Now we take the bread and we tear off a piece and we dip it in the cup because Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. All that stuff that messed up your journey, God forgives you for all of that. He invites you to come to a table with him. So there's nothing now between you and God except maybe you. There's nothing on God's side. If you want to accept the forgiveness of Christ, he offers it to you. He says, come, let's go on a journey together. 